Let's analyze what's been working for us. Not a goddamn thing's been working for us. Like this goddamn suit doesn't work for me. And this stinking tie. And this goddamn shirt. It doesn't work for me. You know how to play winning hard-nosed football? You play football like Ed Gennaro played football. A guy who gave his life for this football team. He was a 140-pound halfback. And he played like a goddamn wild man. No, like a goddamn rampaging beast. And that's the way you gotta do it. You go out there, you tear their fucking heads off, and you shit down their necks. Let us pray. Folks, welcome to another episode of the Sin Beef Podcast. Uh, this is ahead of our regularly scheduled program. This would have been 140. This would have been 140. I forget which one it is. Whatever. We're close to 150. I don't give a shit about numbers anymore. <laughs> Until we get to that 150, I'm very excited. But uh, yeah, we, we decided to do this impromptu football show because uh, Iris has uh, special work obligations. So next show you'll hear will be the Giant Claw and Q the Winged Serpent, which we're all very excited about. Not this kind of this show, but with me today, this afternoon, as, as, as is, is Suzanne. How are you? I'm good. Getting excited for the game tonight. Go Bears. Yeah, go, go Bears. No, no pack, go people. Bears. If you like the pack, you're okay, but not not a, not tonight, you know. Tonight. Oh, my gosh. But uh, I'll kick it to you, Sue, and ask you, since uh, insomnia is, is intrepid with you, what have you been watching lately? Oh, my God. Uh-huh. I've literally been delving into TV shows because I have the attention span of a gnat. I've been, I started recapping You're the Worst because I can't seem to find season five without paying for it, and I'm not doing that. I've been catching up on some American Ninja Warrior, and I think I've watched about 20 minutes of 10 different movies. So yeah, it's been pretty, pretty dull here. Then they start watching you, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I man. I got a couple things to report. I um, I recently got all three cuts of Apocalypse Now in 4K. It looks pretty stunning for an older movie, and I've never seen them before. So it's it's a real shame, Lister. So I watched um, what he calls the what he calls the final cut of the movie. I heard the Redux is the best one to watch. Redux Redux is probably my favorite, but I've not seen the final cut. What's available to, to watch now? I couldn't tell you the difference in three, except for like minute wise. You know, one's like original cuts like two and a half hours. The Redux is like three hours and fifteen minutes. This one's like right around three hours. So there's obviously differences in there. Yeah. Um, it was good. I mean, I, I I'm not gonna say it's the best thing I've seen all all, all year or anything. It's um, I'm glad I got off the off the off the plate though, because now I can say that I've seen it and. Um, 
it's so funny. We just reviewed Rock Roll High School Forever. The movie, there's a scene in the movie where, um, not Corey Haim is doing his book report, but he's not doing his book report because he's, um, he's doing it on the movie Apocalypse Now. So he starts going into the greatest cinematic actor of all time, Dennis Hopper. He's with these whacked out natives. To see it in, 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 uh, in context, it kind of, uh, it kind of made me laugh a little bit just because that's all I pictured was him flailing his arms around, uh, you know, about the Playboy bunnies and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's funny. But the movie's not funny. It's very serious. And I can see, um, I can see a lot of Emilio Estevez and Martin Sheen because he's, he's extra young in that movie and he looks like exactly the same person. So I can, I can see, yeah, that's his son. You can't deny that one, you know. Uh, um, when I went and when I saw Platoon for the first time, all I saw in Apocalypse Now is Charlie. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes in any movie is uh, Hot Shots Part Two, where uh, <laughs> Topper is doing his inner monologue while Martin, the Martin Sheen character is doing his, his inner monologue, and they pass each other on the boat, and they say, I love doing Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, not really much more to report. I, I watched this movie called Tone Deaf, because uh, Lacey Liu recommended it. And she wasn't wrong. It was it was very decent. It's basically about this girl who's uh, loses her job, so she decides to go kick back for a weekend and go rent this house that's owned by Robert Patrick, who he fucking hates millennials. And he goes on like many diatribes in the movie, which really keeps you in it because just hearing Robert Patrick, like old grizzled Robert Patrick, talking about fucking millennials and how much he hates them, kind of kind of becomes my spirit animal in a way. Kind of kind of like a a psychotic Ron Swanson. <laughs> Because the, the whole time, you know, of course, it's a horror film, so girl goes to rent rent a house for the weekend. A lot of freaky freaks walking about the house, not not really with their, with their wits about them. Of course, Robert Patrick's a psychotic who's going to kill people. So it's kind of telegraphed in a way, and then it has, like, a an ending I don't really like, because she, the girl in question is the, the final girl. She's the only girl. She she lives, and she makes a comment by, by breaking the fourth wall like she's fucking Deadpool, but she's not good at it. The, the, the girl in question is this actress, Amanda Crew, who, um, I think she was in a Final Destination, but the most thing I know her from is she was the, um, the, the girl, the, 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 the friend, the friend that happened to be a girl in the movie Sex Drive. It's, it's a comedy called Sex Drive that I happen to enjoy, and she's in that movie. It's good, though. If I had to give it a rating, I'd give it, like, a 7 out of 10. I'd, I'd watch it again. Just mostly for Robert Patrick, though, because he's just grizzled old Robert Patrick in that movie, and it's kind of really entertaining. Um, yeah, where can one find that movie? Eh, on VOD, currently. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty good. Um, I'll leave it at that, and uh, if we have one, I'll kick it to the next seven, being our beef bitches and mashed potatoes. Okay, who gets the burly uh, beef? I ordered barbecue beef. I think that's mine, but I didn't order fries. Who gets the beef? Mine's the Duke Deluxe. Okay, who gets the burly beef? I heard that. Suzanne, you got any beefs, girl? Oh, no, just uh, insomnia trying to kick my ass. Other than that, everything's going well. I pretty much uh, shaved off about a thousand pounds of dead weight from my friend list and my family list. So I am feeling so much better. See, dude, you were moving a bit of back, back hair joke there, you know, or something like that. <laughs> shaved about a thousand pounds of hair off my back. Yeah. Yeah. 
old nudie. That's that's our bud, man. You know. Yep. What else? Um, I I don't really have nothing to to be to be mad about. Really, it's just um, <laughs> uh, nothing I really want to get into. Let's put it that way. So I'm I'm gonna leave it at that. People people are shitty. Anyway, anywhere you go, people's all say about that one. So uh, uh, the reason for the season is the reason why we're here. We have a uh, college football and professional football going on simultaneously now, as of tonight. Uh, kickoff is tonight, Thursday, on this September fifth. Uh, Su- Suzanne, right? Uh, hold on, let me look at my phone. I think it's the fifth. Yes, it is the fifth. Yeah, tonight the Bears play the Packers uh, for the opening kickoff game. And it's probably national. I can tell my buddy it's probably national game. I'd imagine, and um, of course that's our one of our big rivalries here in Chicago. Of course, due to be busting Suzanne's balls for liking like eight teams, and she she probably you know, <laughs> it's like pick a team, Suzanne. God, you know. <laughs> and it's I, I I have a college football team. I'm a, I've always been a closet Bears fan, even when I lived back home because the Bears were always fun. I grew up a Giants fan, and I married a Vikings fan. You can, you can, you can multitask. Well, it helps in those. Ah, uh, never mind. I'm not gonna get into it. But. Oh, what, what, what? Yeah, Come duty's, on. duty's always busting her balls about though. So, so I, I'll, I'll leave all the ball busting to duty because I'm sure they hear it come shining through on NFW pretty soon. So, uh, oh God, no. <laughs> but today here, uh, in, in the real world, because we're, we're going to record these segments uh, not in a row, people. Uh, we're doing two films because we discovered that there's not many really super great football films that are about the NFL, but there's not really many great football films, you know, period, by list them on maybe like, like a top 15 or something like that, you know, but, um, we're going to do the Burt Reynolds classic that everybody knows and loves the longest yard, uh, being a prison football team, that ragtag group. And uh, we're going to do a college football t- uh, movie, uh, favorite of mine. I, I've, I've rented this so many times, I've watched it on cable so many times. Necessary Roughness, starring the great Scott Bakula and the great uh, Sinbad. Remember when the Sinbad was great? He's great in this oh, movie, yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> he's making his nut, though. I, I've heard about Sinbad. He's, he's, he's doing his comedy thing, so he's making he's making good money. So I, I, not, I can't be too mad at Sinbad. <laughs> We're going to kick it off uh, old school style. We're going to go right in a row here, uh, in order, with The Longest Yard from 1974, I think. We'll correct myself when the review starts. Right after this. Hey, did you guys ever notice that podcasts talk about the same movies over and over again? Yeah, as much as I love Friday 13th, I don't need another show telling me how good it is. Exactly. Same thing goes for Halloween. It's a great movie, but come on, there's other stuff out there. There should be a show that highlights movies that everyone else seems to skip over. Like, oh, I always wanted to talk about Absentia. And I want someone to cover the room. The Skeleton Key's a good one. Then let's just do one. We can call it The ABCs of Hidden Horror. And we'll go through the alphabet talking about our favorite horror flicks that get ignored. Great idea! I know what my first one's gonna be. Join Brian, Dave, and me, Jamie, for the ABCs of Hidden Horror on the Horrorphilia Network, where we might discuss some of your neglected favorites or introduce you to something new. electricity that turns on the most outrageous team in football, the Mean Machine, 
supercharged and power-driven to the longest yard. Burt Reynolds, the quarterback who will tackle anything. Your driver's license. Yeah, look what we got here, a miniature cop. <laughs> the superstar. I feel so good. Get out of me. The the All-American. The All-Amazing. A joker of a jock who laughed all the way to prison. Paul Crew. The Wrecking Crew. <laughs> Anybody who is pro football's most valuable player has got something special. Jim, do it standing up. All right, let's move it. A hero so special, he gets special treatment. They'll put you in the oven. Rise and shine. Oh, it's room service. <laughs> How do you like the apples? Superstar. Shaving points off of a football game, man. That's an American. Football faggot. <laughs> I'm gonna get you 24 hours in a hot box, boy. I quit. <laughs> My God, what the hell is that? That's a member of the Warden football team. And I run a football team. What football team? My football team. He assembled the meanest, dirtiest team in history. Uh, we're getting up a football game against the guards. With the guards? Yeah, I want to play. I'm going to play football. And taught them how to be meaner. The one thing that you're going to have to remember is to protect your quarterback. Me. And dirtier. I think he broke his neck. I think he broke his neck. I told you I broke his Before this game is over, I want every prisoner in this institution to know what I mean by power. And who controls it? Prison guards against the prisoners they guarded. The game that broke all the rules, all the records, all the bones. The most incredible ever played. On the field and off. You're going to lose the game. And I want a 21-point spread. We've come too far together to stop now. Let's do it. From the producer of The Godfather. From the director of The Dirty Dozen. From the first second to the last, the mean machine means it. Burt Reynolds. Eddie Albert. In the wildest yet. Longest Yard. The Longest Yard from, yes, I was correct, 1974. Uh, your cheapo plot synopsis is this. Uh, the sadistic warden asks a former, a former pro quarterback, now serving his time in prison, to put together a team of inmates to take on and get pummeled by the guards. This, of course, stars uh, Burt Reynolds as Paul. Wrecking Crew. You gotta get the whole name, you know. 
Uh, Eddie Albert as the Warden. Uh, another Ed, Great Ed. Ed Lauder as Captain Knauer. Michael Conrad as uh, the Great Nate Scarborough. Uh, James Hampton, Teen Wolf's dad, as caretaker. Oh, a lot of great character actors. Harry Caesar as Granville. If you don't know the, the name, you know the face. He's been in tons of stuff. Charles Tyner as Unger. I'm mentioning all these names because they're, they're very important. Bernadette Peters, secretary. I'd still hit that. Goddamn. I don't care. I'm not even ashamed of that. There's more. Richard Keel, of course. Uh, made over as Jaws in the James Bond series. And he's been in tons of stuff. There's, there's... I'm thinking of one more person for sure, for sure to mention and help me out here, Sue, if I'm not if I'm wrong um, about this. You're making me draw a complete blank. That's okay. We're not going to go for that anyway. Um, oh, boy. This is uh, directed by Robert Aldrich, who gave us a lot of great films. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, The Dirty Dozen, s- stuff like that. It, it, it's worth diving into his filmography. And um, I'm going to kick it to Suzanne first because this was her last-minute idea, and I'm fine with that. What do you think of The Longest Yard? I have to admit, I'm a little ashamed to say I have not watched this movie in about 10, 15 years. And that's kind of why it popped into my head. I forgot what an intense movie this is. It's it's a good, it's a little over two hours long, but it's one of those movies that just flies. They, they cover all of the important points without going overboard. Like some of these movies that have been coming out lately that are two and a half and three hour movies that you just want to, uh, you know, jam bamboo under your fingernails to try to keep yourself awake watching them with pointless things. I just, I, the cast, the cast alone. I remember after I saw this the first time and Eddie Albert used to do a lot of comedy stuff. I've never been able to watch him in anything comedy related since I've seen this movie because he's Green acres. Mama, come on now. I, I can't watch that anymore. All I see is the warden. And he is a delightfully evil. He comes off as such a, oh, nice guy. Yeah. You know, why don't, you know, what do you know? We're happy to have you here. A big football player like you or superstars, they call him. And they put him on the swamp duty. The It's, it's an absolute, just incredible movie to watch and in the very beginning if anybody knows who Hal Needham is he was one of the great stuntmen of the 60s and 70s and he directed a segment in the movie he did the car chase at the beginning which was absolutely fantastic I am rambling terribly right now and I apologize for that but the movie like I said the movie is just it's very well put together you spend about half of the movie Getting to understand who the principal characters are. Ed Lauder is just, he is such a hard ass in this movie. Oh my God, that dude would terrify me. And, you know, him trying to get along with the other inmates. And then this whole, you know, the warden is asking him about football and how come his guards can't seem to win a championship for him. And he just, you know, throws the idea of, you know, basically putting up, putting together a team of basically tomato cans for them to kick the shit out of. And here we are. Guess who gets to put together a team of tomato cans to get their asses kicked by the guards. And once again, here we are. I'm just kind of skating along. The sequences of the football game are just incredibly shot. 
I love the beginning sequences when you get just the guard's point of view, the inmate's point of view, and the warden's point of view all on the same screen. It's it's just it's so well done. It's gritty. This movie is intense. And I I am going to sound like a broken record here. They don't make them like that anymore. They just don't do movies like this anymore because somebody is going to get butt hurt. There's uh, I just I just can't go on enough about this. Uh, the guy who plays caretaker is this it's he's one of the most integral characters I think in this other than Burt Reynolds. And it's just it's just so well done. It makes you want to go out and grab a football and, you know, go beat the shit out of somebody. Yeah, I, I unfortunately have frying pan hands, and I can't catch a football for shit, but I can hit somebody, you know. Oh, yeah? Well, back in the day, my, my shoulder is, is not as good as it once was. That's it's usually the story of my life. <laughs> my, my, body's, my body rejects me, people. That's all it is. Yeah, there's just, there's just something special about this movie. I mean, it really, it's, like, it's just intense. It's a good football movie. It's a good human drama it's just, it's great. And once again, you've got like this incredible cast of people involved. It's, it's just, it's amazing. It's one of my favorites that I have not watched in a long time. And that's going to have to change. Cool. Yeah, I dig it too. Though. I've only seen it a couple times. I, I, I'm, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it wasn't, it came out six years before my birth. So it wasn't exactly in my, my viewing, <laughs> you know, you know, schedule when I was younger to watch it. I, I, it's one of those movies I caught probably in my 20s, and I, I enjoyed the hell out of it, and I still enjoy the hell out of it. I mean, Burt Reynolds is as a man in 74. This film starts with a, him with an open shirt, and the ladies, he, he, even some of the men got a shout, because Burt's, Burt was rocking uh, quite the bot of this movie to make all those housewives swoon, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But, um, yeah, he plays the... the, the um, I love the opener. He steals the Maserati. He he bangs it up, and uh, not not too bad actually though. I think I think in the the well he does he does put it in, into 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 the the creek or the the, the reef or whatever. He he he, put, he puts it in a body of water and uh, just to fuck with the, the overbearing bitch that he lives with. And I I, I love I love uh, if you need a good reason to go to prison, I guess that's a good reason, I guess that uh, to 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 fuck up somebody's Maserati on purpose. And uh. Like I said, we go, we go into the prison stuff, though. I think the prison stuff reminds you of something like a cool hand Luke. You know, where you got that camaraderie of brotherhood and, uh, and in the face of adversity. I love the scene where he's dumping all the swamp shit in, in the guy's shoes and, and down his pants and <laughs> <laughs> just to get in trouble. And um, something some folks may, may not, like, you know, get because this is like this is like down south stuff so you gotta kind of take it with a grain of salt there's like the casual racism in this movie about the guards and you, you get that in the remake too which I don't, I don't hate by the way I don't, I don't hate the remake <laughs> and I'll talk about that in, in, in a couple of minutes I'll, I'll, get, I'll get back to this one but um all the stuff Caretaker uh, James Hampton is, is a nice man to begin with but he, he's a great actor in this movie he always plays like that that nice guy and this one, he's just kind of like that nice guy that knows about everything and knows everything in the prison and is going to make things happen. I love that he steals the guards' uniforms for the for the final game of the movie. It's, it's kind of great, and um, it's like his final prank, I guess. After that, the weasel Unger, you know, 
kills him with the exploding light bulb, and they, that's that's yeah. that, that's a sad part about the movie, right there. And when uh, when caretaker dies, um, yeah, lots of colorful characters. I, I love I love Harry Caesar in this movie. He's been in tons of stuff that I've seen. You guys might know him if you're an '80s child as the guy that owned Miracles, the 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 community center and break into Electric Boogaloo. It's it's that uh, actor, yeah. P- pe- people know him now, see, because I said breaking. <laughs> I said breaking two, right? You guys love breaking two, like I love breaking two. Oh God, I hate myself for liking that movie as much. Oh, as you me. should love. We should embrace breaking two. Okay, come on now. But uh, <laughs> that's probably the first place I ever seen him, and uh, probably the first place I'll ever remember him from is that because it, it again played on cable so fucking much. But um, yeah, the football stuff is great. You don't get no crazy stuff like in if you've seen the movie Wildcats. It's funny every time I see it when somebody th- somebody throws a there's a scene where somebody throws a wide pass to to, to Woody Harrelson's character. He jumps up, he's white. He comes and then they show him in the air. He's obviously a black man, but he comes down like, "Hey, I caught it!" You know, it's like, "Yeah, <laughs> that that wasn't you." But um, you get none of that in this movie. You just get like gritty, br- brutal football because and the and the and the gist of it is basically. It starts out for them as a way to just beat the tar out of the guards and not play real football, but of course they, they have to come back later. And of course he gets pressured by the warden to throw the game because that's what he did to get kicked out of football is that he was shaving points, which means you basically play play hurt. You make them lose point, make them not score points on purpose. So the, 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 yeah. spread, the, the spread will be in their favor, obviously. Yeah, scramble a little longer than you have to, uh, miss an open player, shit like that. And, um, of course he does that, and of course comes together in the end to where the, the cons gotta win this game, right? Yeah. Unless, this this is the 70s after all, though, but where, where people, you think you're gonna win or gonna lose, but the cons do win the game, and the guards kinda have, well, at least one guard, uh, Kanauer, Ed Lauder has a, a new respect for, for, for good old Paul Crew when... He's told to, 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 the warden's told to shoot him. Of course, he's going for the game ball. Anybody who says we knows that, he's not trying to escape. He's going for the game ball. And he, uh, <laughs> the great, one of the greatest closing lines in any movie is when he jams that football at Eddie Elbert's chest and says, put this in your trophy case. I love it so much, you know? Yeah, um, it's just a great movie. I Insomnia has made me a, a little bit blathery today, and I apologize for that. Oh, you're good. Well, the remake, though, yeah, I, I don't, I don't hate it. And I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you the reasons why. There is a lot, there is some stuff wrong with it. Like this is made in like 2000 or something, but the gay panic stuff is very real because the Nicholas Turturro character, there's a whole, there's a whole spiel to keep to keep going back to about him having sex with Tracy Morgan's character who who dresses like a woman. And there, there, there's this whole deal in there, and people might be... I'm, I'm, sl- I'm slightly like, Ugh. Like, yeah, they're going a little some places here, but uh, besides that, though, um, if you're a wrestling fan, they, they did hire some wrestlers to be in this movie. Stone Cold Steve Austin is 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 doing a great job being one of the evil guards. Um, the great Kali uh, plays uh, the big... Um, the, the big guy, don't talk in this movie, who I didn't mention his name, but there's a big guy, don't talk in this movie, but they, they, they used him in, in the, that movie doing all kinds of wrestling moves and stuff. Uh, Bill Goldberg shows up <laughs> talking about his massive dick and shit. It's, I, I, I like parts of this movie. And, of course, 
Kevin Nash. Uh, you guys may know this Big Daddy Cool Diesel, who they give uh, estrogen to or something, and he becomes be all feminine and stuff. The comedy in that works for me. I, li I like the fact, and I'm sure Kevin James had a lot to do with this, <clears throat> because him and, him and Sandler are buds. The Sandler bulked up for this movie, and I, 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 it's noticeable watching it now that he's no longer like like this skinny, milquetoast guy. He actually put on some weight for this movie, and I could appreciate that, not just going into it saying, hey, I'm just going to come out of here and be silly and not do much, but he, I, I think he bulked up pretty great for this movie, and I, I appreciate the, the action because, like I said, Kevin James... If you watch the movie Here Comes the Boom, I, I, I appreciate that movie a lot, and one day we'll do it because Kevin James was an all-American wrestler, and him and Mick Foley were good friends, and they came up together like that, and I, I think that if he wasn't an actor, he would have been somewhere in the wrestling. You you might see him wrestling today because uh, he's, he's that good. And um, who, who else? Um, Jamie Cromwell. See, I can't complain about this cast at all. I love all these actors. Jamie Cromwell is the warden in that movie. He did a pretty great job. I think better than Eddie Albert because you could you could you could take Jamie Cromwell as a villain, and I I think it really works really well in that sense. Um, my, was it um, Michael Irvin, the Dallas Cowboys player, shows up in that movie in, in an acting role, <laughs> but it, it's, it was it was made by MTV. <laughs> Either you love it or hate it. I I happen to not dislike it, although. You're making a remake of the Longest Yard, so there's not a whole lot of stuff we're gonna do different, and they didn't, except make the the secretary lady be Cloris Leachman and make it all silly about when they're gonna fuck, you know. <laughs> Which I I can't I can't hate Cloris Leachman. I love her to death. You know, she's like 90 and she's still hilarious. So it's it's uh. I only have one problem with Cloris Leachman. What's that? That was the facts of life. Well, yeah, but yeah. But, uh, the, you can't. Go from Mrs. Garrett to Cloris Leachman. Those were the latter years, though, Suzanne. You don't got to watch those years. Come on. I know. I, that's pretty much the reason I quit watching the show. You take because the good, was... you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have Mackenzie Aston, right? Oh, God. What a horrible <laughs> Talk about the most annoying ginger on the planet. Yeah, but you do get Clooney's mullet in full effect in there in a... Uh... He's not he's not slapping around Aunt Jackie on Roseanne, which I can appreciate. Yeah. It's like, why you gotta do it for Clooney? Why you gotta do it, man? You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, back to this movie, The Longest Yard 74. I, um, great, great, great football scenes. They, they look, I, I love the way it's filmed. I know it's, I know it's the 70s, but it's filmed very gritty. Like the, the, the way, the way it's shot and stuff. And it makes you feel like that you're in this prison. It does. It makes you feel like you are. This is old school. How they used to play football. You got the shit knocked out of you, a lot. Mm -hmm. And I mean, every single time you saw one of those hits, I mean, it was you felt it. It just. I mean, it was one of those. What? Like I said, what I'm so fascinated by watching it, and I have, like I said, I've not watched it in about ten, fifteen years, and that's my bad. But it was shot. I mean, you are totally a spectator. Yeah. You are watching this, and it just feels like you're right there on the field. And even the sound, when someone gets hit, I mean, you, like I said, I feel like a breeze is going past my face. Yeah, yeah, you, you can feel it, you know. And I, I, uh, <laughs> I dig it. I really do. 
Oh my god. But I, I'd like to kick it back to you, Suzanne, and say anything else you'd like to say about the movie, and what do you give it 1 to 10? Oh my god, I like I said, I blathered out a bit like an idiot, so I'll try to keep it short and sweet. But yeah, this is, this is a great movie. This is why I love mo- a lot of the way that they made movies in the 70s. It's just, like I said, it was gritty. It was, there was a brutality to it. You know, first you think Eddie Albers could to be the good guy warden and he turns out to be the most evil prick of them all it's just a great movie i'm i i, can't, I just can't give it a 10 i should but it, this is a solid this is like a nine and a half cool i um i like it a little less than you not not, not in a bad way I, I just i just have to give it like an eight and a half you know as, as far as football films go it's not my favorite i think the one that we're gonna discuss next is I like it better than this movie, but oh, that's it's, 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 it's nothing. It's nothing against this movie at all. It's just a, I think it's an eight and a half, and I I think it has to do um, me losing that point. is probably has to do with much like I think. Were you on the episode we talked about Five Card Stud with? Um, no. Well, Roddy McDowell plays the heavy in that movie, and much like that movie, it's kind of hard for me to take Eddie Albert as the heavy in this movie. Just, just thinking about how many times I've watched Green Acres over the years, you know. Yeah, for me, the big surprise, and I can't believe it hadn't stuck when I watched this movie the last time, was Richard Keel. Like, oh my god! I didn't know he was in this. Richard Keel. He, and th- that scene where they're practicing, and that dude punches him in the nose. Oh, yeah. And breaks his nose, and he's like, you did that on purpose! I'm not playing anymore! I don't want to play! It was, It was just kind of that... There's a bit of comic relief that you kind of needed in these scenes. There are a handful of them. Just just to hear him talk sometimes, because he doesn't have many lines and a lot of things that he's in, especially early in his career. I mean, he was the original Canimit, the original alien in um, To Serve Man, the Twilight Zone episode. Oh, yeah. He was also asked to do Chewbacca, but he wanted to do Jaws instead. Well, yeah. Well, we, 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 get, we get rewarded two times then, see? It's good to go. But he's uh, he was a really, he was a big surprise for me in this. I meant to go over that, but um, I forgot. That's okay. Insomnia. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're we're gonna huddle up here again. Me, me and Suzanne, uh, I guess playing two man touch here, you know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and that's not sexual at all. It's just something you did when you were kids. Get over yourself, people. But uh, yeah, um, it come right back. With necessary roughness, right after this. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. 
just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did be you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. The Texas State Armadillos are a little short on talent. Uh, show me the arms, son. Throw the ball, genius. How about that? He stinks at two sports. But Coach Riggs thinks he knows where to find it. I never saw anybody fire that football the way you did. Maybe you should stay here with all your high school trophies. I wonder just how great you might have been. Now Paul Blake is back to finish the season he started 16 years ago. I hope he gets younger as he gets closer. Whoa, a 40-year-old freshman? Yeah, maybe he knew Elvis. We're taught to respect our elders. Well, I'm not that old. Trying to win with raw talent won't be easy. Again! Because this is as raw as it gets. Once more, come on now. Ooh. That's better. Will be the laughing stock of college football. Blow the whistle! Blow the whistle! What do you think we are now? It has to be your team. Hey, come on, you don't want to mess with us. We're nobodies. I want someone to be their leader, not to leave them behind. This Armadillo team is on a roll after last week's non-loss. Nobody thinks a team of wannabes led by a has-been, can make it through the season. Fall out, fumble. You guys got a hell of a lot of energy left considering we lost by 40 points. Fumble-rooski. But the armadillos are taking it one game at a time. <laughs> That's what happened to wrestling, man. Women take over the sport, man. What we need to do is get crazy. We need to get wild. We need to... Little doggy, you about to get fixed. Necessary roughness. I've been waiting for you. You should be waiting for the guy to cut your hair. Uh, necessary roughness from 1991. Uh, your cheaper plot synopsis is this. Uh, due to N- NCAA sanctions, the Texas State University Fighting Armadillos must form must form must from must form a football team from their actual student body with no scholarships to help to play their football schedule. Um, sorry, it's very hot here, and I'm very uh, very bewildered. Uh, <laughs> your 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 cast is a is a great one, I think. Uh, Scott Bakula. Dr. Sam Beckett himself plays Paul Blake in the movie, the world's oldest, the world's oldest, oldest, oldest freshman. There you go. Uh, Hector Elizondo as Coach Ed Gennaro, Robert Loja as Coach Wally Rigg, Harley Jean Kozak, who we've seen in a bunch of things probably, we've seen her face. Uh, Larry Miller's back again from uh, back from uh, <laughs> hanging out with Sam Elliott. Um, it's the great, the, the great Sinbad. That's hard for me to say that he wasn't. He's still great, but. This is when Sinbad was a, a commodity, as Andre Krim, 
has a great line that we'll get into. Um, Fred Dalton Thompson, who you've seen in tons of stuff. Lots of you guys have seen in tons of stuff. Rob Schneider, uh, Jason Bateman, Andrew Bynarski, Leather, that was Leatherface. Uh, <laughs> he was a Leatherface. Kathy Ireland with all of her long look at glory. God damn. Uh, that's where I'll stop. <laughs> this is uh, directed by a guy named St- Stan Dragotti, who didn't do a whole bunch. But it's got a great score by Bill Conti, and I, I, I gotta give it that. So, I'll kick it to you, Suzanne, first, and ask, what did you think of Necessary Roughness? You know, I rented this when it first came up because, you know, you've known me for a while, and you know how much I love sports movies. And as we discussed, there's really not a lot of football movies, which is kind of surprising. I guess when I saw this the first time, I was expecting something more along the lines of maybe... I really don't know what I was expecting, because I can't really say I was expecting something like North Dallas 40 or The Longest Yard. I, I And with the cast, I guess I was expecting something different. So the first time I watched it, wasn't a fan. This time I kind of decided I wanted to go into it a little bit blinder and just kick back, watch it for what it is. And let me tell you, I enjoyed it a hell of a lot more this time. The and this and you're right. This was about the peak of Sinbad's career. This is when that one special he did, Dane Bramage, came out, and he was just at the top, something like that. Mm -hmm. He was just at the top of his career, and I think that. um, Oh my god, why am I drawing a blank on his name now? Even though I've seen him in freaking everything. Uh, he was just coming off Quantum Leap. Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula. Well, I don't know why his name escaped me. It might have even still been going on. I'm not 100% sure, but 1991 sounds like it still was going on. I'll go back it's, to you on that one. Yeah, I'm really not sure. I, I never really watched Quantum Leap, so I couldn't say for certain. Um, I'm a fan. But, and, <laughs> yeah, and uh, the, once again, you just have this impeccable cast. I think, once again, how... Ha- Hector Elizondo, this was like coming right off or hot on the heels of Pretty Woman. And Robert Loja is Robert Loja. If he if you don't like him in every single movie he's in, then there's something wrong with you. One of my but favorite lines my favorite, one of my favorite lines of the whole movie involves him when he's uh behind the tackling um what do you call that thing? Where that's on metal, where they gotta push it. It's just a tackling dummy. Yeah, the tackling dummy. He goes, I want you to eat raw meat. And then here comes uh, here comes Andre Krim, played by Sinbad, just ramming the fuck out of the thing. Andre does not eat meat. Andre is a vegetarian. I love that shit, you know? <laughs> it's uh, just, it's an all-around fun movie. It, it It's like, I, I like, you know, the world's oldest freshman, and I like, they did a really good job shooting the games, I, it's in all around, just it's a fun movie. And Robert Loja, for me, steals the whole show just because he's so damn funny in this. The bar fight, I think the bar fight is probably one of my favorite, favorite things because uh, the the dean is doing everything he possibly can to get the football program shut down. And he hears about this and he's like, he's shows up to the bar. Everyone's sitting around playing pool, acting like nothing's wrong. And he's pissed. And Larry David can play the greatest just asshole. He's also just another one of those just fun character actors. I really liked him in 10 Things I Hate About You, too. Oh, the best, man. One of the best things about that movie. Yes. 
he's just he's it's great it's a fun movie i just and i'm not a huge jason bateman fan in fact i didn't even realize he was in it i like him when he's humble and he's pretty humble in this movie you know he's not like trying to play it too cool i think i agree because that's usually my problem with him is he's just smarmy and he's really good in this is the the rich kid who finally actually had to do something for once but it's uh it's I think it's a fun movie. I was really happy that I that we chose this movie because I finally got a chance to give it a rewatch because I have not seen it since that time that I rented it. All around great movie. First of all, hello Naya. How you doing, baby? You know, and uh, she's good. She's <laughs> waiting for a treat. Yeah, waiting for a treat. I need this movie to treat. I mean, I love it. I love uh. Like I said, I'm, I'm biased. Cause I love Scott Bakula. I know, I know he's not like the biggest, greatest actor. <clears throat> People would say he's the worst part about that Lord of Illusions film. But you know what? I don't love that Lord of Illusions film anyway. So I'm, I'm not I in that boat. I disagree 100% on that. I, he, I like him a lot in Lord of Illusions. I'm on, I'm on the Quantum Leap train, people. Uh, and I, I ain't been off since I think it started in 1988. Yeah. <laughs> but he's he's great. He's got some great lines in the movie. Like you said, the bar fight when, when of course, when the, the big guy with, with with no neck comes in and he punches him, and of course the bar fight happens because he he picks on I don't know the actor's name, but his Samo- his Samoan roommate is one of the one of the best parts about this movie too, and um, yes. Manu is is uh the the character's name, um, of course this this is a real picture of the time because this this doesn't happen really unless it happens really under the table now. I know it's highly regulated about boosting. You know, pe- people would go like alumni would would buy these athletes cars and get them prostitutes and all kinds of nasty stuff just so they so they come play football at the school. And this is um what shut down their program basically was all this all this underhanded stuff and they got busted. And now I I'm, I'm almost positive that it's much more highly regulated now as we're in 2019 now, but this was a real problem back in those days. So I, I like that this is one of the only movies that actually brings that up. Um, I mentioned to Suzanne to, oh, watch, to watch the program, the movie, the program. I think the program deals with that too, but not, not, yeah, we, oh, sorry. it's oh, the, the boosting still happens, but it is, you're right. It is a lot more regulated. I mean, you go back and look at USC and Reggie Bush and, I mean, I think it was TCU, if I'm not mistaken, that got the death penalty for that <laughs> several years. Yeah, yeah, you know about, more about college ball than I do, so I, I expect you to have some input on that for sure. <laughs> um, I think Rob Schneider is, is a great... He, he plays like the color commentator, the, the sole color commentator, and he's kind of doing, oh, it- kind of doing the making copies voice a little bit, but it's more, it's more uh, serious. Um, go for it. Go for, I'm sorry, Suzanne. Oh, no, no, I'm just, I was just interjecting how he is just a great part of this movie. Once again, I, Rob Schneider is great in a small role like this. If, if you don't, don't know... Like he, I'm sorry. I, 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 that's pretty much what I was going to say. No. Go ahead. If, if you don't know the, the movie, you know the line, Bumbalaya, Bumbaruski. You probably know that line if you've never seen the movie. But then this is the line that he, that he utters as he's doing his color commentating and it's kind of like if you're. I, I, I love John C. McGinley and everything, but watch the movie Thirty Three about Jackie Jackie Robinson. And he um, he's a great. He could he could do he could, he could he could he could do baseball right now. John C. McGinley, I think he's really that great at it. And um, 
but the rest of the movie, um, like you said, the football stuff is, is, is filmed pretty well. I, I, I gotta say that, uh, Kathy Ireland is at her, her peak hotness of Kathy Ireland. And there's a scene where Manu, who is the center is, is holding the football and looking underneath them, you just see those long legs going all the way up and. That's not this. That ain't not bad, and that makes it makes me sound like I'm I'm over sexualizing her. But she was a she was a swimsuit model, and therefore she was there to be ogled and respected, of course. But she wears a pair of green short shorts in this movie. That scene, and that ain't not bad. And uh, I I liked I really liked the relationship in this movie. Her her and her her big Samoan protector. I I thought that was nice. It wasn't like dwelled upon for too long, but you could tell that you know he was gonna be there. You know. For her, whatever he he did, her 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 big Hulk and Samoan bodyguard, you know, um, and I think they got together by the end of that movie. Just 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 uh, as as an aside, you know, the, the the big guy getting the hot girl always makes me happy. Oh, absolutely. Um, what else, man? There's there's th- there's tons of colorful characters. Uh, the crazy marine guy for some reason. This this is a picture of the '90s. Has a pump for his helmet, you know. Like somebody would have a pump for their their Reebok sneakers. Oh God, I know. <laughs> the martial arts guy. Uh, oh God, there, there's so many great characters. Oh, uh, the martial arts guy. What he just is like, you know, no, non-violence. Like, come on, you got to go out there, and he just starts beating their ass, and the ref does not even know what to call. <laughs> yeah. He's like eagle kick to the head, and it it was one of the. It's just a funny moment in the movie, and this movie is a lot. Of funny moments. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it's a lot of fun, and Larry Miller, like you mentioned, is just being as, as smarmy as he could be, like he does. And that's what we did. We did the the Bigfoot movie. I was like, yeah, he's just such a nice guy. It's kind of hard to take that because he he plays like these smarmy characters and knows so many things. And um, one of my favorite is Best in Show of all, of all time. That uh, he's telling the story about the gargoyle. It's one of the best things ever. You know. Oh God! I, I, he was in Best in Show. Yes. Oh my God! But this one, I think, with the the inexperience the director had, I think he made he made a fine film, and everything flows, man. Only the only real problem I have is like some cliches, like the Harley Jane Kozak character, who's the professor that that Paul Blake falls in love with, that that has been done like to death and I think it's necessary but unnecessary to the film because you got he's got to have a girl to, to cheer for him in in, in in the end and yeah and she, she was a college girl yeah 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 and um yeah I just, I just dig it and you know I, I I it's one of those pictures of cable slash VHS that was rented and washed a ton and right now although I I think an hour and 50 minutes is a little long for a film like this you could probably chop 10 minutes out of it um but um it i i really dig it still and uh i'm gonna ask you is there anything else you like about the movie I mean, anything else you want to say about the movie and what do you give it one to ten? Oh god we forgot to talk about the prison the prison prisoners that yeah. came over to yes uh, yes <laughs> go ahead suzanne and dick butt kiss um oh god uh and of course i went and and two tall Jones was in there. Peter Hollyfield. <laughs> I think I swallowed a finger. That's one of the best <laughs> lines of the whole movie. He grabs his stomach. You're like gurgling sounds. Like, I think I swallowed a finger, which of course is a 
it's it's a joke of the time. This is right around the time when when Michael Mike Mike Michael Michael Tyson Mike Tyson bit his ear off in the match. So uh, this was this was many years before that. It was before that. Oh, that, that makes the joke even worse. Like, it's almost like foreshadowing now. See, <laughs> it, it was pathetic. <laughs> Uh, I think I swallowed a finger. He's he's a boxer, of course, but it, it was hilarious. And Dick Buckus, Dick Buckus was acting. He was acting oh, this it, time, I think, because this was um, this is my two dads' territory, I think. But he was still doing that show, and then he was in uh, Johnny Dangerously, of course, for for that, that that small role. He he was in he was he, he was in some stuff, and um, but uh, yeah, him being being in this movie and. The other football players being in this movie, I, I thought it was really funny because they had that that scrimmage game where they just get the shit kicked out of them, and yeah, you need that. <laughs> no, that just kind of drew the parallel between this movie and The Longest Yard. But yeah, honestly, second time around, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I'm I can't I'm I'm, I'm gonna stick at about a seven and a half on this because it is it's overly long. But I think that it's well worth a watch. You've got some great actors of the time in the movie. And there are just, oh, it's just funny. There are so many funny moments. And of course, you've got your standard, you know, cliche, heart tugging bullshit going on. But all in all, seven and a half. It's it's a good movie. Yeah, I'm with you with that seven and a half. I mean, I don't have a whole lot more to say about the film. Except that I think all, all the actors w- work together well. Is uh, you know, you you have a lot of like football cliches. You know, the guy that that can't that's a great great receiver, but he can't catch the ball. You know, stuff like that. That that that's the thing in this movie. And oh my god, but um, oh, there's a I'm trying to think. There's a there's a joke in there, but there, there there's more jokes. But um, all the 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 line where we're during the bar fight and. Paul and, and and Andre get thrown over the bar. <laughs> oh man, hey Matt, I thought you wanted to party. You know I love that shit so much. You know because <laughs> you wouldn't think Sinbad and Scott Bakula would have such great chemistry in this movie, but they kind of do, and that makes my heart happy. You know, yeah, mine too. Oh my god, but yeah, seven and a half is where it stands. Um, great film. You guys can watch it on Amazon Prime right now as we're recording this, and I think you guys should check it out if you haven't seen it, you know, for the for the Fumbalaya, Fumbaruski. It's good stuff. Uh, well, we'll be right back. <clears throat> well, Court and I will be right back with uh, something sloppy for you with a sloppy second segment, and then after that, we'll come back and close out the show. It was incredible, and I saw the whole thing turn right into a big mess of green goo. So you'd say you witnessed a subhumanoid meltdown? meltdown? Life Life is full of miserable chores, like washing windows and fighting in wars. Everything for us. Subhumanoids do the job's demeaning. They open space exploration too. They open the cookie and they open the 
so good. It's almost like you've got a mouth down there. Some humanoids are never born from female egg and semen seed. They're being made from night till dawn. They're the ultimate product of corporate greed. When you kiss them, if they're smelly, they got an extra set of lips in the button of their belly. A swaggering bulldozer of a flick. Jack, it is you. The only man I ever had sex with. Wasn't that bad? I am a Jedi. Like my father before me. Yo, Freddy! Where you hiding at, you bright face pussy? I'm running this monkey for no Frankenstein, and I want to know what the fuck you're doing with my time! Let's give it a go. With Hollywood But this is the seventh sequel to our original motion picture. Hello folks, welcome to another segment of the Sloppy Seconds, the movie sequel segment now. Uh, Kurt Simes is back with me. How you doing, brother? I'm even sloppier than the last appearance, and I'm feeling even more second best. Oh yeah. Must be all that, that mouth transference in this movie. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, oh, it's so fucking nasty. Yeah, yeah, a lot of meltdown juices being spit into people's faces. Oh yeah, uh, we're discussing the, uh, one of the, the first sequel to Class of Nukem High, being Class of Nukem High Part Two: Subhumanoid Meltdown from 1991. Um, here we go. <laughs> Your plot synopsis <laughs> is this. I'm not going to read this long one. Why not this one, huh? The Class of Nukem High is now now in college. Uh, <laughs> And Tromaville's nuclear factory, nuclear factory has been rebuilt with newly perfected subhumanoids. 
When school reporter Roger Smith meets a beautiful subhuman named Victoria, they fall in love, but, in, it, but is determined to save her and face off against a giant mutant squirrel. Tromi, of course, his name is Tromi. He's awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I'll, I'll, I don't want to take the lead on this one either. So, Court, tell us why you love this movie, man. I don't know. I would say I love it. Um, I certainly enjoyed watching it. I had fun time with it. The stuff that I did love, though, was all of the Tromi stuff. Anything with the giant squirrel. I didn't even care that they reused the same footage at the beginning and the end of the film with the squirrel. They knew what they had, and they were trying to like get the audience to stay and pay attention, so they released that right off the bat. Well, it's funny, um, if, you're, it's funny if you're a kaiju fan, because it's, it's, oh, yeah. it's some good uh, model stomping in this movie, you know? Yeah, it was totally like a, it felt like a loving tribute. It felt like Lloyd trying his best to do a kaiju segment because he really wanted to have a giant monster. And that stuff is great. They used a lot of really fun force perspective stuff. Yes, they did it on the cheap. Yes, a lot of the shit looks fake. No, I don't care. I had a good time with that stuff. Uh, the thing that really struck me about this, this time around watching it, I recognized quite a few people in this film from seeing them in other things and noticed some of the cameos. The most famous one, though, the one that I was like super surprised and kind of shocked that I recognized, his editor, um, the main character's editor, is Shelby Chong, Tommy Chong's wife. She was a longtime collaborator with Tommy Chong. She worked with Cheech and Chong for most of the movies. She ended up starring in a lot of the movies, like being his love interest or showing up in Tommy Chong's purview or what have you. Mm -hmm. But she was his editor. Now, she's credited as somebody completely different, so she obviously used a pseudonym. And apparently, I don't know if it was one of Tommy's kids with his first wife or one of the kids that Shelby and Tommy have together, but apparently one of the kids was in this movie as well um, as one of the background actors or something like that. So I'm wondering if she came in for a couple of days just to get the kid a role in, in Newcomb High. But she was his uh, the, the editor, uh, Brick, whatever, or Brock or whatever his name is, the, the main character. Brick Bronski is, is Brick Roger Bronsky. Smith, yes. Roger Smith, there we go. Okay, so Roger's editor, and I think it was Jones, was like, I think he calls her Professor Jones. She is uh, Shelby Chong, which is Tommy Chong's wife, which is amazing. And the reason that I recognized her was the documentary that I watched about when Tommy Chong or Tommy uh, Chong got sent to jail for the bongs <laughs> for selling bongs all those years ago. And then right after he got out and they went on a comedy tour together, like they were interviewing her a lot. And I watched that movie and I just remembered her. There's something about the way that she smiles that I just kind of noticed. And I recognized her smile and I'm like, no, that can't be her. And I, I did a deep dive today, man. I, I looked all through the internet and I was searching. Like I, I did like Google searches where I'm like, was Shelby Chong ever in, <laughs> class of Nukem High too, you know, and stuff like that. And I even went so far as I pulled up a picture of her on my phone while I had a like the video going on my screen, and I just kind of like looked at him. I'm like, that's definitely her. <laughs> so you get that a lot with trauma. People will do cameos and they'll do them under a different name, either because they want to protect themselves from the Actors Guild going crazy, or for whatever reason they don't want to actually admit, but they want to be in the film and have a good time. Who knows? But that was the biggest thing that stuck out for me for this was that Tommy Chong's wife was it. It's like uh, when James Gunn got in trouble for that tweet or whatever from Disney. I was like, have they ever seen Citizen Toxie where he plays a professor with Down syndrome? Have they ever seen this before? You know? Oh, God. And then the description about how he uses the water implant to 
get his penis flaccid. Yes, yeah. Yes. Oh man, there's some really offensive shit in that. Have like, you ever seen this this film before? Just watch a clip one time. Like this is way more offensive than that fucking tweet. But uh, I digress. Yeah. Continue, sir. I'm sorry. Yeah. Now the other stuff that I really enjoyed, besides the kaiju stuff and noticing Shelby was in there, there is a very distinct style that Trauma had in like the '90s. And this is post 90s. Like it's like it's 91. So it's like post 1990. And I still stand by that demarcation point being Sergeant Kabuki man where things started going downhill. I think Lloyd just gave up. (laughs) And this is like the start of that decline. This is Nukem High 2 and then also Nukem High 3. When you, you look at them together, it's basically the same thing as like Toxic Avenger 2 and Toxic Avenger 3, where there was one good movie with one great idea that got padded out with so much extra stuff that they turned it into two overlong films, two overlong films. And that's what we have here. Um, this very first film of the set with uh, Roger Smith and, you know, all the all the things going on with him. It is mm, a good 10 minutes longer, at least than what it needs to be. They could have wrapped this up in about 20 minutes. They didn't need to keep doing all the repeats. My Lord, there is so much voiceover that literally explains everything that you're seeing on the screen. I know that's probably because they lost the dialogue or something like that, that they couldn't redo it. So they just had him voice over and tell you what's going on. But that is so lazy and I hate that in movies and it just ruins the film for me. And I had a real hard time with this one whenever they would do that, especially because the guy who plays Roger Smith, not the best at delivering dialogue. And when he's doing those descriptions, I had a real hard time staying focused on him. But then they would go around and turn and do these weird like sequences of weird nightmare sequences or weird like drug induced coma sequences or something like that. Or you would see the subhumanoids all have mouths and their belly buttons and you see subhumanoids belly button kissing and French kissing and feeding each other. And there's this whole weird sequence of subhumanoids like stomach eating and all of that. Just weird stuff just to try and gross you out and make you feel uncomfortable. That stuff I enjoyed. But really, if it wouldn't have had the giant squirrel, Gary, I don't know if I could have made it the whole way through this movie because I knew that was coming at the end. I was just waiting for it to come back. Yeah, there's a lot of like little stuff in this movie that I, I enjoy. I've always enjoyed the idea of, like, the low-budget mad scientist, which is, um, if you listen way back when we did uh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes, I I enjoyed that movie exponentially more than the first one because the mad scientist aspect is, aspect is so insane, and this is no exception. We, we I, It gets it gets amped up in the next one, I think. Um, is Return of the Killer Tomatoes the one where the guy makes a Rambo tomato, where he, like, turns uh, tomatoes into people, or is that the third one? No, he turns the tomatoes into people, and listen, definitely a hot girl in that second one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that one I do enjoy more. It's a lot more fun because it's silly, and and it, it's actually a little bit better made than the original. And I love Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, but I, I agree with you. I think Return's a much better made film. This isn't as good as the first one at, by, by a long shot, people, but there is, like, silly stuff in there. And I love... I love when they break the fourth wall like a hundred times in this movie. And, and oh, at one. least, yeah, at least a hundred movies. It, it a hundred times in the it, movie. It doesn't get old to me for some reason. It, it's just like, yeah, we know we're making a stupid movie, and we're gonna tell you that we're making a stupid movie just by breaking this fourth wall constantly. And um, <laughs> yeah, and I don't mind that stuff at all. It's really just the voiceover where like they're telling you the story as it's happening that really oh, yeah. irritates me. And Lloyd did that way too much with his movies in the 90s. I mean, that's all over or Toxic Avenger 2 and 3 mm-hmm. really bad. And it's because, like, he's trying to stem together a plot 
when it was only one movie that he had, but he shot too much shit, so he broke it up into two. Yeah, that's for sure. This one doesn't have Michael Jai White in it, though, so there's there's that. At the, <laughs> um, yeah, Michael Jai White improves everything. There's 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 like little touches in here. I, I love I don't love the Squirrel Gang like I love the Cretans, but that 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 fat guy just wearing nothing just makes you laugh every time, and I'm I'm sure he's a big kink for like. Some 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 bearded gay guys that I know watching this movie, they get, they get totally turned on by this guy, and um, I should call one after I'm done with the show. Actually, just tell him all about it. If you haven't seen it before, but I'm sure he has. Um, yeah, because he's like wearing a leather diaper. He was he was like the Joe Fleischer in bondage gear, basically yes, of this film. Yes. Um, the explanation of why the girls don't wear much clothes is hilarious. Yeah, because they don't have a lot of lockers. Because the lockers are so small, that's why. You know. It's, it's, oh, this is so exploitative too, man. It's like ass shots out the wazoo. Tons of girls in like fucking thong bikini stuff and ass shots everywhere, topless everywhere, thin, thin, stringy bikinis because they knew they had to do that to play on cable and still have the sex appeal. Like it's ultra sleazy, and I really did like that. <laughs> yeah, there's not. There's not like. You know they're they're exploited in that sense, but there's not like a lot of like rape and a lot of like I don't think like one girl gets like slapped on the ass in this movie, which is surprising as hell to me in a movie like this. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's that, and then also, I mean, the men don't get off light either. I mean, our main character dude is walking around shirtless a lot of the time, or wearing like tight little outfit and like you know little short shorts and everything to show his bod off. The and the whole movie, he's wearing them short shorts. Right. And then other dudes that are in the film are also, you know, on display. I mean, everybody's being exploited for something in this film, regardless of their body shape and size. And I swear, I probably can go the rest of my life without hearing the term melon heavy breast again, because that's like all the way through everything Lloyd ever writes. (laughs) He loves that phrase, dude. He uses it all the time. This one or the second one is like where they're running for their lives because there's a meltdown or something in the the plant. They say, wait, a girl with melon heavy breasts. She just runs by, you know, because they they let her by and, you know. (laughs) It's a a real immature sense of humor, but like it works for me because when I'm watching it, it's like I'm watching it as the kid that saw it on USA, you know, and just like really having a good time with it. Oh, but there's way more, may, way more breasts in this version of the movie because I, I think Matt Sipe would be giving a lot of thank you movies in these movies because <laughs> I said thank you movie to every single one that popped up on screen, even if I had seen the set before. Because you get you get to see them bounce around and they're not they're not being exploited except for the sense of hey these girls are topless they're probably getting paid five dollars a day. But plus Popeye's chicken, of course, you know, it's, 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 uh, and, and they get to keep the ultra slime that they're covered in. That's, that's two fifty per breast plus, plus probably a breast of chicken and possibly a biscuit. Come on now. <laughs> oh uh, my gosh. But yeah, the meltdown stuff is fine. I think the effects are fine as far as what, what, the, what, from, with, again, you got to go within the budget that they had, which I'm sure was not much, but the meltdown stuff, although it wasn't, didn't look as good as it did in the original one. I, I like the idea of, you know, them creating, I, I guess, these little green globs that, you know, are wisecracking and whatnot. Did you recognize what they made those guys out of, the meltdown versions of the humanoids or the subhumanoids? What did they make it out of? It's a fucking boglin, dude. They made a bo- they took a boglin and they just covered oh. it in other stuff. They glued beards to him and shit. 
But if you look super close, it's totally a Boglund because it's already a puppet ready to go, including the arms. I remember that toy, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's totally a fucking Boglund that they just like modified slightly or like painted a back latex thing to to give it a full head. Or it was the more expensive Boglund that was like the full, your you know, your whole hand went up in it that yeah. they just modified to be a puppet. And they had like two or three of them that they, they modified because you see at least two or three of them in the same shot, you know, that they kept reusing. And that's that's genius. You know, because you can totally tell it's a Boglin if you collected those things or you had them as a kid. But otherwise, people wouldn't have even noticed. Oh, and I love the fact that, you know, the, the way Dr. Holt gets people to, to mate with her subhumanoids is to say, hey, I got a sign on the door here. Free sex. Free sex test or whatever the hell it is. And, well, yeah, and she offered them eight bucks to get laid. I mean, what guy in his college years would not go for that? So eight bucks and, and get your dick wet, man. That, that's that's not a bad deal, man. They provide the prophylactics and everything. So <laughs> no, you had to buy the prophylactics. Remember? Oh yeah, you had to buy the you had to buy the rubber. So yeah, and the guy gave him one, then he said, "I've only used it once." <laughs> oh, that so that so reminds me of um the line that Gary Busey uses in DC Cab, where he's he's he's, he's crying at the window to the, the 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 boss's wife saying, "Come on, I got my lucky rubber," you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line of that movie. It reminded me so much of that. That guy saying he, hey, I've only used it once or twice or whatever he said. Like, yeah, that's nasty. And he, he handed it to him, and it just said generic. Oh condom. god, <laughs> that's some lambskin type shit right there, man. <laughs> Maybe like eighth grade, he got it or something. Like, yeah, here you go, son. You go play with it for a while, and yeah, that that nasty. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, they 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 sunset boulevard in this movie. Like Court said, that the best the best thing you're gonna see all day is is Tromi the 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 the, the mutant uh, squirrel because you know that that's that's just fun to watch in this movie. You don't get a lot in the next movie. I, I think you get you get some good stuff in the next movie too. But it's just gag after gag after gag after gag. So if you like this kind of thing in a trauma film, you you could do a lot worse than than Class of Newcomb High Part Two. And it, it has not as good as a soundtrack, but the, you know, I, I love that the fact that even even the soundtrack breaks the fourth wall, you know, and, and that's that's fun. Yeah, I, and I have a good time. Brick Brick is just a dumb. He's just a dumb actor, playing <laughs> playing that. I think he plays Clueless pretty well because he has to play three roles in the next film, and that it gets a little stranger then because it kind of shows that he has range as an actor, but we'll get into that later on. And then we, we talk about the next movie in the next segment, um, for the next episode. But, um, I, I can't hate it. I, I used to hate this movie's guts because it was just a, like a, a shadow of the original one. But I guess yeah. when I, when I, when I watch it, you know, with, with more critical eyes and you catch the little shit that you didn't, maybe you didn't enjoy as a kid as much as you do now. I, I, I dug it way more than I thought I was going to, and I think it'll, it'll show up in my rating that I didn't hate it so much, so, <laughs> speaking of which, Court, uh, anything else to say about Class of Newcomb High 2, uh, and what is your rating 1 to 10? Say what you will about Roger Smith as a character, and then also as a reporter, but they sideloaded and made a reference to Twin Peaks in this, that if you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't get. He's always dictating to Diane, who is taking notes for him, who turns out to be the secretary of his professor of the school paper. So he's always saying Diane into a recorder. And I totally think that that's a Twin Peaks reference because the first season of Twin Peaks had just ended the year before this 
was released. So I'm positive he was influenced by Twin Peaks for that. For that. Um, I also love his fucking rat tail. I think the the bullet haircut that he has that he then pulls into a ponytail and just leaves it there is probably contentious to be the best mullet on a guy in an action film close to Bosworth and Stone Cold. Is it, is it rat tail or pony nub? I don't know. It's like a little bit of both. It's like a pony nub that turns into a rat tail because of the way his hair's cut. Yes. It's very, I was very conflicted in that sense. Like, I wanted to hate it, but I just ended up being like, no, that looks really badass on him for this era. So, <laughs> um, like we talked about, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I was really disappointed with with this film, but there's a lot of pleasant surprises that I wasn't expecting. And I think that watching it in the frame of mind that I have now where I'm looking for things to find to enjoy in films now so much as like daring the movie to entertain me like the bastard I was the first time I may have seen this made me like it a lot more than what I thought I was going to, but it's still pretty disappointing. I would say if I'm going to rate this, I have to rate it like I would any other trauma film. And on a trauma scale, that makes it much more generous. Now, again, you cannot compare trauma movies to big budget, big action films or big monster movies or anything like that. They're nowhere near that. They're like a fan film of that. You have to kind of like register them that way in your mind. And basically I'm rating this on how much fun I had watching it. And this was actually a shitload of fun for me. This, this is going to be another like six and a half right there. Cool. You know, it's not, it's not quite like, it's not like right up to the, like over liked it. It's like, yeah, this was fun. I kind of dug, I kind of dug it. I was saying about brick though, that the the character itself, you know, Roger Smith, Roger, Roger Smith is his name? Yeah, the characters. Roger, yeah. yeah. The character himself, I would call him Brick as Brick's a badass name. Yeah, totally. It'd be really hard to hate, it'd be really easy to hate this movie and point every little thing, but your your lead character is so goddamn likable. So it's it's like, it's kind of hard to hate him. So it keeps keeps you in it because you like this character, and I like the little goofy stuff that's going on. I I like stuff that you see in this movie, that you get you get more depth into into the next movie, like the rollerblading kids. We'll get into that later because they, they they're called back <laughs> in, the, in the second in, in the third movie. Uh, fucking Tromi's adorable as as that little kaiju segment because it's it's all good, man. Uh, like I said, it's a it's a, it's a six out of ten as far as like a rating goes. But again, the, this is on prime and pristine condition, like Blu-ray condition, so. Yeah, it's an amazing print. It looks way better than it deserves. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. So go watch it there. You have you have, you have no excuse to not watch this insanity. It's a uh, it's kind of it's kind of great in its own little way. But um, I'll kick it to the end of this segment, and uh, we'll see you all again in part two. If you enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema Psyops, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcasts, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Metal Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick Six Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, 
Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Which Versus the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found. All right, folks, now it's time to say goodbye to myself and Suzanne and Court, respectively, and all of our company. And it's always stretched out, but M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. Um, Suzanne, <laughs> thanks once again for doing this. And uh, what you got coming up, girl? Oh, uh, we are finishing out our Sea Monster Month and look forward to the Friday the 13th special coming up very, very soon, like in three days. Mm-hmm. And that would be on the NFW podcast. You can find that on Horophilia. Friday the 13th and a full moon. So, you know, there'd be some freaky freaks running the streets, man. I'm not leaving the house on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, me, this show, the two minimum commenters. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to get one recorded next week. I'm going to talk to the to the fellows and this lady here to see if we, we can make one happen. We'll do something. We'll do something fun. Uh, I'll I'll find some outlandish piece of shit to watch, and we'll have a good time with it. Um, Burning for Springwood. I have an episode that I've been sitting on for like weeks now that I have to edit, and the Diane Franklin interview. So as you listen, as we're recording this, hopefully all those things will be out this week. This this is my goal to get all the stuff out this week. Um, but yeah, th- those those things are going to be a thing. And um, hope you guys are enjoying the sloppy seconds segments. Uh, some stuff that me and Court are putting together. We have a lot of, I would call them big plans, but some obscure sequels to do. Um, I, I hate I hate retrospectives, but when you're doing a sequel show, it's kind of hard to stay away from them. So we're not going to go, we don't go crazy in depth, as you've heard. So you won't hear a, th- a three-hour episode about Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, which I'm sure you guys will appreciate that it's not that long and say, analyze every little thing. I saved that for other shows. Other shows can do that. And they do a fine job at it. You know, the Deuce I'm talking to you, I'm giving you guys a shout out right now. Uh, yeah, you guys are great. The Deuce is a, is a podcast in which they do part two of, of all the all the, the movies. That's all they do. And they do wide synopses of the movies and do a great job. So if you haven't listened to the Deuce yet, go check out those boys. Because they, Brad and Jeremy from Omaha, uh, Nebraska, same place as Court. So go go check them out, man. I took that Omaha from from the league. See, it's a <laughs> Cornhusker, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it for this one, really. And uh, oh, please, Flix charity auction. If you haven't checked it out, yeah, I'll be I'll be I'll be a, a peddling some more starting next week. I think I have some some stuff that I wanna wanna get going, and some pretty exciting stuff too. Um, one of them is a pretty famous nurse that we all know and hate, and I. I'll tell Suzanne who that is off the air, but uh, she's being very gracious as of late, so I'm going to take advantage of that, but uh, I'm going to leave it at that and say this has been your Cine Beef Podcast, where if you've got beef, we've got the grinder. See you guys next time.